Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9 11 a.m. at the main campus and 11 a.m. at the Monk's Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening. We hope that God blesses you through doing so. Welcome this morning. So good to have you. I'm excited about the Word of God today. Uh, for you that are going to be watching by video or on television, we welcome you as well this morning to hear God's Word. I'm going to use a lot of Scripture this morning. I want to teach you from God's Word. So we're going to give a lot of Scripture. I want you to understand the scriptural basis for generosity, for tithing. We're going to see what the Word of God has to say about it and how we can measure our generosity according to the Word of God. We have been learning that the smartest, wisest, and most fulfilling way to live is to be generous. It makes sense. it's, It's all over the Word of God. And the bottom line is, when you are generous with your time and you're generous with your talents and your treasure that God has entrusted into you, it will bring you emotional happiness. You are more joyful, you are more happy when you're a generous person. You want, how many want to be happy? Joyful. It just makes sense. Uh, it leads to spiritual holiness. Because what will happen is, when you begin to let God release you to generosity, it, it breaks that hold of mammon uh, on your life. It breaks the hold of greed on your life that will come and attack you. And as we learn with that relationship between uh, uh, John and the, and the other, and Chip, that, that how they became to know each other and became very best friends, as you become more generous, it leads to spiritual holiness. Because you become more like God. And it also often leads to material blessings. So we're going to look at some facts from the Word of God of of why God blesses generous people and how it works according to the Word of God. And the first fact I want you to look at is God blesses generous people. Let's all say that together. God blesses generous people. I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures, so we're going to move along fairly quickly. Acts 20 and verse 35. Listen to this one. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed. Everybody say more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed To give than to receive. In other words, when you are generous, when you are a giver, God blesses you. It is more blessed. You are blessed by God when you become generous. That's Acts 20 and 35. You're blessed not just externally, but I think as you begin to become a generous person, there is a joy that will well up inside of you. Remember remember the Scrooge play when, when he finally became generous? What's he do? He says, I'm as giddy, I'm as light as a feather, I'm as giddy as a church, whatever he said. And he jumps all around, he stands on his head, he dances around, because all of a sudden he became generous and that light that inside of him went off. And that joy welled up on the inside. There's a joy that comes from being generous. When we give, we are more blessed, the Word of God says, than something we desperately want for ourselves. Jesus said, his own words, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let me give you another verse. Uh, look at Luke 6.38. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure. Press down, smash it down. Shaken together and running over will men put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. With the same measure you use, it will come back to you. 
God blesses generous people. Listen to Proverbs 19, 17. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. And he will pay back. Everybody say pay back. Pay back what is given. Listen, I'm glad God pays back. God pays back. Deuteronomy uh, talked about a lot about harvesting the field and, and the law is given in Deuteronomy. The second law is literally what it means. And so it's re-given in Deuteronomy and uh, you see the harvest of the field of grain. And what they would do is after they would harvest the field, they would wrap it up in sheaves. They would leave the sheaves around the field. And, and then when they got done with the harvest, they would go and collect and gather up all the sheaves together. And he says, if you miss a sheave, leave it. Don't even go back and pick it up. Listen to Deuteronomy 24:19. When you reap the harvest of your when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you. Everybody say bless you. Bless you in all the work of your hands. You see the context here when you give, when you're generous, when you leave it for someone else. It opens up the door for God to bless you. Listen to Proverbs eleven twenty four, And this is a paradox. As you listen to it, it doesn't make sense in the natural, but listen to the scripture. This is a scriptural principle of the word of God. There is one who scatters and yet increases more. So when you scatter, when you give it away, you only increase more. It goes on to say, and there is one who withholds more than is right. And it leads to poverty. Wow. You you can't get more clear now. Listen to Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Quickly. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So what will happen? So your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will overflow with new wine. In other words, give your first fruits. Bring your tithe. What will God do? He'll fill your barns uh, and your vats will begin to overflow. Uh, Generous living is the key to your emotional happiness. It, it It is the life of God inside of your heart because God is a generous God. It leads to spiritual holiness because it deepens your relationship with God and other people and it breaks that hold of materialism on your life Uh, and God's word says it will lead to material prosperity when you give it away then God allows us to enjoy his blessings uh, because he understands that in your life mammon finances won't have a stranglehold uh, so he can trust you with more He can bless you again and again and again. And it breaks that hole, that bondage of mammon. Now, let me just say something very quickly right here. Your motivation for giving is never to get back. If you give to get, even though the principle works, even though God does bless, if that's the reason you're giving, uh, it is only fueling your greed so I can have more. So it's not a giving to get so I can have more, so I can be rich. Uh, If that's your motivation, uh, you've missed the point. But listen to me. As a general rule, countries that are generous, organizations that are generous, individuals that are generous with their time and their talent and their treasures will have material prosperity. You just travel around the world. You leave America. You'll begin to understand how these principles work in all of life. 
Now, it doesn't mean that if you are generous and the stock market drops and you had money invested in the stock market that, uh, uh, that you won't have a hole or a setback in your own finances, it happens. It doesn't mean that if you're generous, you'll never have an accident. You'll never have a financial setback along the way. You'll never have an emergency that comes up that, that for a time drains your resources. It doesn't mean if you're generous, you will never experience a financial downturn. Uh, but listen to me well. As a general principle, generosity produces blessings. He says in his word again and again and again, you will be blessed. Not only emotionally, not only spiritually, but you will also be blessed materially. I, that's God's word. Because God has an agenda. And the agenda is to do great things through you to reach other people. That's why he blesses you. That's why when you give it away, God gives it back again so you can give it away again. So God gives it back again so you give it away again and you live a lifestyle of generosity and then you live under the lifestyle of the blessings of Almighty God. It just works. Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, God blesses a generous person. Now, it leads to the second fact how do you know if you're generous? Some of you are asking right now, how do I know if I'm a generous person? Well, the second fact is this. God provides clear and measurable guidelines for genuine generosity. God provides clear and measurable guidelines for genuine generosity. Now, let me give you a few pointers here. Jot these down. Number one, generosity always gives the first and best to God. You give your best to God. You give the very first to God. Listen to Proverbs 3, 9 again. Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits. Everybody say first fruits. Of all your increase. First fruits implies that it's first. It's your best. Honor God by giving him your very best in your life. Your, 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 your first fruits off the top and the very best. Uh, Israel thought they could uh, fool God. They tried to give their second best. They tried to give their third best, their fourth best, whatever was left over. They tried to give at the end instead of at the beginning. And so turn to Malachi 1 and verse 11. Malachi 1 and verse 11, he's talking about the bringing of the sacrifice. And Israel was trying to slough off and bring the least they had. And he says, from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, the name of the Lord shall be great among the Gentiles. Now, God starts out by saying, it's about my name. It's about my honor. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it. Now, how do, we, how do we profane the honor and the name of God? In that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. You say, oh, what weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Now, what are they doing? They're, 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 they're going through, and every so often, every sheep that passed through, every tenth sheep or every how many sheep it was, was to be given to God for service. And they would take the bad sheep and say, oh, let's put him in the row right here where he's going to get called out. Let's, i got a weak sheep that's about to die. Let's give that one. 
let's give the one with leprosy, you know. And, and they're given the, the sheep that are maimed and mangled and have been uh, beaten up. He says, you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick, thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hands, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and makes the vow, but sacrifice to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. My name is to be feared among nations. We don't give God our leftovers. If I'm generous, I give him my first and my best. I give him Sunday, the first day of the week. And so I come to church. I set that time aside. I give him every day, but I honor him by gathering with the saints of God upon the first day of the week. I give him the first 10% of my income. That becomes my first fruits. It's my first and best given to God because he's Lord and I'm honoring his great name. Don't try to give God your leftovers. Give you the first. And, and, and what were the Israelites doing? When they gave their first fruits to God, when they gave that first 10% to God, they were believing God was going to provide the rest of the harvest. It's God, I know you're going to take care of me. That's why he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll take care of all the rest. I, You know, from time to time, I'm kind of a, uh, a little bit of a pack rat when it comes to clothes because I, I, I somehow think some of those old clothes I have will one day come back into fashion. I don't know. They're 20 years old or, or they're fat, skinny clothes. You know, I go up and down and so I save my fat clothes for when I get fat. And my skinny clothes, if I ever think I'm going to lose weight again, they're still hanging in there by faith. And, uh, but every once in a while, uh, I, I, we clean out our closets. You know what I'm talking about. You go and you clean out all your closets and you find the clothes that are worn down. You find the clothes that are out of style and uh, you find the clothes you can't wear anymore because they don't fit. You bag them all up and you take them to Goodwill. Now don't pat your, break your arm patting yourself on the back about how generous you are. All you're doing is clearing out your closet. It's stuff you'd never wear again. That, my friends, is not generosity. That's your leftovers. That's whatever you have left that you don't want anymore. Now, it may be smart tax-wise. You may get a little tax break for bringing that into goodwill. And, and down the road somewhere, it may help somebody. So I'm not, I'm not knocking that at all. And it's great. you got more room in your closet. But, but that is not biblical generosity. Biblical generosity gives the first and the best. Now, let, let's talk about the tithe. I want to give you the principle of the tithe. The tithe in the Word of God literally means the tenth. One-tenth. Ten percent. So let me give you just a few principles very quickly about the tithe. Some people say, well, pastor, you know what? I, I, I would tithe, but that was under the law. That was under the law. And Jesus has come, and we don't follow the law anymore, and it's all by grace. And so it's not... Well, first of all, let me clear up some misconceptions. The principle of the tithe occurred even before the law was put in place. Before Moses walked up Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments and got all the other laws that went along with those, before he got that from God, the principle of tithe had already been in place. Abraham, uh, who predates Moses, the Bible says, was gave tithe or gave a tenth of all he had to Melchizedek. Jacob says in his own words, listen to this, uh, uh, one of the other patriarchs, oh God, help me. If you honor me, I will honor you and I will give you a tenth 
or a tithe of all that I have. So Jacob's making his commitment to the Lord when he, when he encounters God out there with those angels going up and down in this, the heavens. Uh, you see the principle of the tithe in typology. Uh, we have a Garden of Eden. Well, what, what does God say to Adam and Eve? Hey, it's all yours. Take care of it. Manage it. You're my manager. You're my steward. You're a steward over the garden. Uh, but he, what did he do? He said, there's one tree. Don't touch it. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. He says, in the day you eat the fruit, you shall be cursed with a curse. And he says, the moment you begin to eat that for yourself or can keep that for yourself, darkness went on inside of Adam. It's the same word that's used in Malachi when he says, bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse so there might be room in my house, that my house may be full so that you will not be under a curse. And for your sake, I'll rebuke the devourer. Uh, the children of Israel, when they go into the promised land and, and they've got, uh, they're going to cross the, the Jericho, uh, the, the Jordan River, and they're going to attack the first city they come to is Jericho. Every city, when you went to war, you got to keep the spoils from war. But when they got to Jericho, he says, I want you to destroy everything in the city as an offering to me. I want you to burn it all up. I want you to give it back to me. Don't keep the gold, the silver, anything else in the city of Jericho. One guy thought he could outsmart God. One guy thought he needed it more than God did. His name was Achan. Uh, The Bible said he kept the gold and silver, buries it in his tent. uh, And they go to attack another little city by the name of Ai. And Israel's routed. uh, And they're routed. And God says to Joshua, you know what? They're sinning the camp. And so you see this principle of the tithe, the first city they came to was to God. It was the first fruits of their conquest of all the land of the Jordan. Number two, the Israelite offering under the law was actually more than 10%. You may not even have under, realized that before. First of all, the Bible said they were to give a tenth of all they had. And then three times a year, they gave another tenth. So during the course of that year, three times a year, they would give another tenth to God. And every third year, they gave another tenth to God. And so it's estimated that the Israelites were giving 23 to 25% of their income to the Lord. Above that, they gave free will offerings, peace offerings, thanksgiving offerings. And so I guess when you look at the tithe and you boil it all down, the tithe, I believe, biblically, is just a good starting point just a good place to begin it's not about 10 percent or 11 percent or 8 percent or whatever percent you want to put to it it's about being generous it's about giving it first and your best to god and i believe the tithe is just a good beginning point number three tithing is a heart issue it's a heart issue uh jesus accuses israel of just going through the motions when they they they, they paid their tithes like taxes to God. Uh, it's, like, it's like they had to do it and their heart wasn't into it and their hearts were far from God. And so Matthew 23, uh, 23, verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay the tithe of mint and amize and cumin, those were spices, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the other undone. In other words, in simple language, get your heart right and keep right on tithing. Right? 
I just read it to you. Don't just tithe out of obligation. Don't just tithe as my temple tax. Uh, don't just tithe because Pastor Burbacher said to. But get your heart right. And then it says God loves a cheerful giver. It's a heart issue. Number four. We give today out of a higher law of love. Now I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is how we're going to, how do you deal with this whole thing about the law and uh, uh, following uh, the law? Do we follow the law of the Old Testament? Just didn't Jesus fulfill the law? How does this all work together? Let me give it to you biblically. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 6. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. Now he's going to talk about the letter of the law. Versus the spirit of the law. It's about the old covenant and the new covenant. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stone, talking about the tablets of the law, was glorious, so the children of Israel could not look steadily on the face of Moses because the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. And so he goes up to the mountain, he's... Filled with the glory of God, he writes the law on the tablets of stone. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Now, it's more glorious because of Calvary. It's more glorious because the tomb is empty. It's more glorious because of the grace of God. Be more glorious. for the, If the ministry of condemnation had glory, talking about the law had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds, everyone say exceeds, much more in glory. It's greater. Uh, now jump down, if you would, to verse 16. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now listen, we know in the Word of God that Jesus came to fulfill the law. And he did that when he came and gave his life for us. Uh, and, and, and he brought with it the law of love or the greater law, the glory of God, the greater glory, because the, the stone tablets were written on stone. But God says there's going to come a day when I'm going to put my law in your heart, in a heart of flesh. It's going to be internalized. It's going to be inside of you. It's going to be by my grace and grace alone. But if under the new covenant... But if we are under the new covenant, we live by grace. Now, here's the point I'm trying to make. If the law, the old covenant, 10%, why would we think because of God's grace in our heart, I would want to do any less? Because the new covenant is more glorious and always exceeds the old covenant. And so God says, be generous. Be generous. It's more glorious. Now, let me illustrate it for you. Turn to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 17. Verse 17. Do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Look at verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds goes beyond the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, we know that, that the righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes can only be done through Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives. 
But there's a practical outcropping of that same scripture. And it simply means what, what the scribes and Pharisees were doing was always external. Now under the new covenant, now under grace, I've come and I've put all that inside of you. Uh, so now your motivations have changed. Uh, so now it's not just about following laws to please God. Now it's out of a relationship. Now I know God. And so my righteousness goes further and deeper. And then he illustrates how it works practically in our lives. Listen to it. He's very clear. Verse 21. You have heard it said that those of old you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. Now, the law said don't kill anybody. Right? What does God say? Now it's in your heart. So if you're angry at somebody and mad at them, you may not go out and shoot them because you don't want to go to jail. Oh, but you're sure not going to forgive them. You're sure going to hold anger and bitterness. You're sure going to say things about them. He says you've already killed them in your own spirit, in your own heart. Now, which is easier to keep? Thou shalt not kill, or don't be angry. Am I the only one who ever deals with anger in here? Uh, I, I won't read all these to you just quickly. You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, verse 27. I say don't lust. Oh, my goodness. He kills us all. I guess I'm the only one who deals with lust. You've heard it said, thou shalt not swear. I say to you, be honest. Be a person of integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Which exceeds the other. The new always exceeds the old. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I say to you, go the extra mile. The righteousness of God exceeds the righteousness of the law. You've heard it said, hate your enemies. I say to you, love your enemies. Every expression of the grace-blessed life is greater than what was under the law. It's more glorious. It exceeds the law. It is more exciting. The principle of the tithe is a principle. I believe it is simply a pattern or a great place to start. But when you begin to understand generosity, it won't be 10%. It'll be 15%. It'll be 20%. If you want God to bless your business, start tithing off your business and you'll begin to see God explode your business. So you can give more and advance the kingdom of God. Oh my goodness. This is good stuff. Turn to Galatians 5, 13. Galatians 5 and 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Uh, That's not the one I want. Oh, I'm reading the wrong verse. Chapter 5. That was chapter 3. 513. Here it is. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Now we're free. We're free from the law. He's called us to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. There's the higher law of love. And so don't say, people tell me all the time, hey, I don't have to tithe. I'm not under the law anymore. Don't talk about tithing in church. I'm not under the law. Yeah, you're right. You're free. You're liberty. But don't use that as an excuse for not being generous. New Testament. And I'm going to give you a lot of New Testament verses in a minute. We are called to freedom, but don't let freedom become an excuse for not being generous. You miss the point of God's grace. You've missed it. You, it's just gone right out, right out of your head. 
You missed the point. Old Testament, they brought sacrifices to God. They give one of their sheep, they give a lamb. What does God say in the New Testament? Present your body as a living sacrifice. My life, my heart, my all belongs to God. It's never an issue. It's never a problem. It's never a question. It just all belongs to God. Second thing about tithing. Genuine generosity is to be regular and systematic. New Testament, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16, and look, if you would, at verse number 2. And on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. Now, first day of the week, regular, systematic. He says, set it aside, get it ready, I'm coming, get your offering together, and the first day of the week, lay aside as God has blessed you or as God has prospered you find a rhythm and be faithful in your giving stick with it some of you are paid bi-weekly so you're going to tithe bi-weekly and so right out of that you get your paycheck and every other week and so the first check you write is going to be your first fruits and you're going to put that in the offering plate some of you get paid once a month and so for you the rhythm would be every month others of you are paid weekly and so uh, you would do it on the first day of the week but find your rhythm let it be your first let it be your best number three very quickly uh genuine generosity is proportional He goes on in that same verse, as he may prosper. Or in other words, give in keeping with your income. Uh, People are going to give different levels in this church because everybody makes a different amount. Some people have more than others. Some people have more finances than others or resources than others. People who make a lot should give a lot. Somebody shout me down here. I feel like I'm all alone up here. The Bible says, not Larry, the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. I I think that's that's the genius of tithing. It's 10%. So if like Malia, you make a dollar, you're going to put a dime in. That's your tithe. But if you make $1,000, you're going to write a check for $100. It's, It's the genius of generosity. It's proportional. He says, as God has prospered or blessed you. It becomes a lifestyle. You don't think about it. It just becomes a part of who we are. Generous people don't just give when they're fired up or in the mood. There are times when God will lead you to give extra, to do more, to reach out in greater ways, but an habitually generous person will be an habitually blessed person. That was the first fact we established. Number four, genuine generosity is sacrificial. Sacrificial. Does it cost me anything? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look, if you would, a verse. And we're going to stay right here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 the rest of the time. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches in Macedonia. That in great affliction, great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in riches of their liberality. Now, when you put the word severe trial and extreme poverty and then overflowing joy, those three phrases don't seem to go together, do they? 
doesn't seem like you'd be talking about severe trial and overflowing joy or overwhelming joy in the same sentence or in the same way. They just don't seem together. But he says, when you give, uh, the result is, look at verse number two, that in the, uh, that it will abound in the riches of their liberality. In other words, that word abound means it welled up in rich generosity. Even out of their poverty, even out of their little bit they had, there's something about the joy of God inside that bounded up to reach uh, rich generosity. Now jump down to verse 3. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. What a beautiful picture of sacrificial giving. Here's people who didn't have a whole lot. Here's a church who didn't have a whole lot, but they said, you know what, Paul, there's another church that's starving to death. And if we don't give, They'll die. And so they, they gave out of their poverty, but it was, wasn't a burden. It was a joy to give. And it abounded up to their rich generosity, a beautiful picture of sacrificial giving. It's not giving if it never affects me. There needs to be sacrificial giving to be generous. Number five, genuine generosity is worshipful. It's worship. It's worship unto God. We don't give because of pressure. We don't give out of guilt. But it becomes a lifestyle. It becomes a pattern of my life. And it literally becomes a worship unto God. It's as worshipful as praying. It's as worshipful as reading your Bible. It's as worshipful as coming to church. It's as worshipful as praising the Lord. It's a part of our worship unto God. Paul was coming to collect money for his relief efforts. Jump to 2 Corinthians 9, verses 2 and 5. Same letter, a little bit further in this letter. Now he commends them. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that, that Acacia has already a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Now they made a pledge a year ago to give. Yet I have sent the brother and lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect that as I said, you may be ready. So he says, I'm coming to, to collect on your pledge that you made one year ago. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go ahead of time and prepare a bountiful gift beforehand, which you had previously promised. In other words, you made a promise to give a gift. Now I'm going to let you know I'm coming to collect the gift, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. So he says, there's a need, it touched your heart, you express a desire to give freely, joyfully. Now I'm coming to collect that money so I can disperse it according to the will of God. Now, jump down to verse number six. But I, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, uh, I want to illustrate to you, this is the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest went out this morning, 34 cents. I got an ear of corn. And uh, we counted the kernels. I, I didn't count them. Mark Todd counted them for me. So if it's off and you check later, it's Mark's fault. <laughs> he counted the, the, the kernels on this ear of corn. 
and he came up with 810 kernels of corn on one ear of corn. Isn't that, isn't that pretty, pretty amazing? Now, uh, a, a, a kernel of corn, if you plant a kernel of corn into the ground, that, that stalk will grow up and eventually yield 10 ears of corn over the life of that stock, okay? So out of one kernel of corn, you can potentially get 10 ears of corn or 10 times 810 kernels of corn, which will give you 8,100 kernels of corn by planting one seed in the ground. That's the law of the harvest. Now, that's pretty neat. You're you're hungry, you want to eat, you eat the whole corn, you take a kernel, you plop it in the ground, and next year you're going to have, or later that year, you'll have 10 ears of corn. 10 ears of corn won't go too far. It'll probably take care of one cookout. But say you take a tithe. Say you take 81 kernels of corn, and you place that in the ground. And you spread those out. 81 kernels of corn will yield 8,100 ears of corn. And it will give you back, listen to me, 656,100 kernels of corn. Just by planting a tithe. Now, take it beyond that and beyond that and beyond that. Listen, you don't have to be a genius to figure this out. This is why it's so smart. This is why it is so genius to be generous. And God says in his word, he who sows sparingly, you sow just a little bit. You put one kernel of corn in the ground, you're going to reap sparingly. It's not rocket science. It's just mathematics. It's simple mathematics. It's simple farming. You sow a little bit, you're going to reap a little bit. But he says if you sow bountifully, you sow a lot. You put a lot of corn, kernels of corn in the ground, you're going to reap a lot. This is the law of the harvest. I, uh, I heard an expression, and I loved it. I heard uh, we were at a, our minister's conference last week, and Alton Garrison was speaking, and he made this statement. And, and I think it applies to faith assembly of God. He says, we are hopelessly destined to succeed. We are hopelessly destined to succeed at faith assembly of God because we have scattered so much seed out there. Last year alone, this church gave a half a million dollars to missions. Half a million dollars. Far more than what we brought in. We brought in three and a half million dollars, something like that. So about 15 to 20% of a, the church income is going out to missions. Uh, but, I, but, but what we're doing uh, is we're scattering seed uh, all around the world. Uh, God ha- can't help but bless us. God can't help but bless us. We are hopelessly destined to succeed. Through the math. The principles of God are at work as we give to God. Now let's go on in our study. Look at verse number 7. So let each one give as he purposes. Look, underline the word purpose. In his heart. Not grudgingly or out of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. Now. Notice how we give. We give purposefully, but we also give cheerfully. Those two have to go together. Now, here's how this verse has been misinterpreted. Some people come in and say, well, Pastor, I don't feel very cheerful. I had a rough week. 
wife's been nagging me, dog's been not going outside, making it out there, whatever you want to say. And, and it's just been a rough week, and I'm not in a very good mood today, so I won't give today because I don't want to. If I can't give cheerfully, I better not give. <laughs> what they forgot is the purposeful part. They like the joyful part. They don't want to do the purposeful part. Let, let me, if I only love Jeannie when I felt like it, I might not love her all the time. Maybe 50% of the time, maybe 60% of the time. Uh, But if you just went by feelings or emotions, uh, if I only read the Bible when I felt like it, I'd never read the Bible through in a year. I'm on a yearly planning. uh, I read the Bible through every year. I'm on a yearly plan that I follow. uh, But if I just did it when I felt like it, if I wasn't purposeful, if I wasn't intentional, if I just did it when I felt like it, I might not read the Bible through every year. If I only prayed when I felt like it, I'd never get around to praying. Prayers work. Intercessory prayer. And and, and go on on and on it goes. You can apply that to everything in life. And so he says, you give purposefully, you purpose in your heart that you're going to be a generous person. And then as you do it, God floods your heart with joy and excitement and enthusiasm because you know God is going to bless that. Good, good stuff. Some view the church and the pastor as all he wants is my money. Some of you right now are frustrated. I wish you'd get off this series. (laughs) Want to hear about King David again? Just, just, I don't know. (laughs) But unless God begins to move in your heart, in your wallet, with your time, with your talents, with your treasures, you will never know what experience of living under the total lordship of Christ. And with living under his lordship and obedience comes blessings. Listen, you are the ones who will be blessed. You are the ones that God will bless. When you trust God, when you believe in God, when you are generous, God blesses you. You win. God doesn't need your money. What did the Bible say? God already has it all. It's all his already. He doesn't need your money. God simply wants to bless you. And the greatest blessing is living under the lordship of Christ. And under his lordship, I experience the power of God. And I, and my, and I have relationships that go deep. And I experience God's peace. And I live out of God's purposes. Uh, and, I, and I watch him use the generosity to begin to change lives of people around me. And I'm laying up treasure in heaven. And I'll see those people again one day. That's what it's all about. Let me give you a third fact. Said a second, it's measurable. You can measure your generosity. You just buy how much you give. Is it first? Is it your best? Number three, God prospers me to raise my standard of giving. Now notice I didn't say the word living. God doesn't prosper you to necessarily raise your standard of living. You don't give so you can move from a 1,500 square foot house to a 2,500 square foot house. You, you don't give so you can move from a, a Timex watch to a Rolex watch. This is where it's been abused. This is where sometimes you hear guys, some evangelists will abuse the principle of sowing and reaping. It doesn't negate the principle. The principle still works, but they abuse it to lead to greed and materialism and more wealth. 
He doesn't bless you so you can go from hamburger, eating hamburgers to eating steak. Now, if you have a Rolex watch, if you eat steak at night, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Praise the Lord. Give thanks in all things and thank God for your steak and thank God for his blessings and you can enjoy those blessings. But if your priorities are out of order, listen to me. And you're not honoring God first, then everything else in your life gets out of whack. Uh, but God's agenda and blessing is never to raise my standard of living, living, but to raise my standard of giving. He blesses me so I can become more generous, so he can bless me again, so I can be more generous. The kingdom of God is advanced, needs are met, lives are changed, and that's what kingdom's work is all about. Now, let me show you in the word of God how this works. Jump down to verse 8. We're in the same passage. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Now, look at all those alls there. Having all sufficiency, all things, that you can have abundance. Why? Not so you can sit back and say, look at my house, look at my car, look at my stuff. So you can have all sufficiency to abound or overflow in every good work. That's why I say God blesses to raise my standard of giving. Abound means over the top. So, so the picture is the grain overflowing the, 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 the silos and the wine spilling over. It's that abundance thing. Uh, God is a generous God and he wants his people to be generous people. Aren't you glad God abounds in love and generosity towards us? He does that for us. Why do we become such misers? Verse 9. Then he quotes Psalm 112, verse 9. Uh, he says, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteous remain forever. Jump down to verse 10. Now here's the math, the formula again. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness. Now, he provides seed for the sower. Right away, he's reminding us that everything we have comes from God. So all your money, your seed given to the sower is where? Who owns it? It's from God. Who provides it? God. He provides seed for the sower. That's your money. That's your resources. That you might have bread for food. So you take some of your seed and you make bread. Right? And you feed your family. And you feed yourself. And you live on that. He, he takes care of you. He meets your need. And so he provides the seed in order that you might, first of all, you might break the bread. You might make the bread. And so he says, take care of your family. And then he goes on to say, but he multiplies the seed. In other words, you will have seed left over. So you've baked your bread. You've taken care of your family. There is seed left over. Now here you are faced with a decision. Am I going to be the foolish steward who said, let me build bigger barns? So I can hoard it, so I can hoard more seed or have more seed? No, he multiplies your seed so you can reinvest it. So you can sow it again. So it comes back and brings a harvest. And he says the harvest is a harvest of righteousness. It will increase the fruits of your righteousness. So he's saying here, I bless you not to raise your standard of living, but your standard of giving. Now look at verse 11. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, you're blessed by God to be liberal or generous, which causes thanksgiving through us 
to God. In other words, we're enriched in everything. Now, look at the word everything. Not you're, you're enriched spiritually, you're enriched emotionally, and you're enriched materially. You are enriched in everything. Why? So that you can be generous. Why does God want to bless you? Because God, first of all, is a generous God. That's a part of his nature. But he blesses you so you can be generous with others. And the result, he says, when he comes down to the very end of it, he says in verse 12, that it may result to thanksgiving to God. The bottom line is the kingdom advances. God is glorified. People's hearts are turned towards the Lord. Uh, They're set free. They're saved. They experience God's grace. Why? Because you gave. I've listed all those things on your notes. I'm not going to go through them again for time's sake. It is a model of a life of generosity. As you keep giving your heart, your time, your talents, and your treasures, he keeps pouring more back in so you can be generous, the Bible says, on every occasion. So that unwed mother comes up and she doesn't know what she's going to do with her kids. She has no place to live. You say, you know what? My house is God's house. Come stay with me. Bring your kids. Bring your family. Stay with me until we, until we find a place. Kids have no food. They get fed. You gave to Convoy of Hope. You gave to Feed the World. You gave to the inner city. It happened. Ministry goes forth. The gospel goes out. People get saved in the church. They're baptized in water. We celebrate. We rejoice. All because you gave. You were generous. People come to the Lord Jesus Christ. God's genius of generosity guards our heart from greed. And it keeps our focus and dependency upon the Lord. Because he supplies the seed. He multiplies the seed. And as a result, lives are transformed. It works. Amen. Fourth fact, and the last, and this will be quick. The key to become generous. The key to becoming a generous person is faith. Everybody say faith faith. Now the bottom line is, do you believe God's principles are true or not? Do you believe God's word? Everything I shared for you was from the word of God. I gave you a lot of scripture this morning, more than usual. Do you believe God's word is true or not? Now then act on God's words, follow God's word. Either I believe the word or not. And if I'm generous, God says it is the ultimate win-win. People are blessed, and I can bless you. It blesses others. It, 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 it blesses me. And yet, listen to me. A Gallup poll said this. In evangelical churches, the average Christian gives 2.5% of his income to the work of the Lord. In evangelical churches, these are Bible-believing, Bible-thumping churches. In evangelical churches, the average person gives 25 percent of his income to the work of the Lord. That would be us. Apparently, either we don't believe the word or we've never had the faith to put it into practice. And if you don't, you are missing all the blessings that God has for you. I want to close with a little story. It's a parable. Man is uh, traveling through the desert he is dying of thirst. His lips are parched. He's about to die. He's, he's just about to give up. And he looks up ahead. He sees a palm tree, an oasis. He gets excited. His steps quicken. He makes his way through the desert. He's falling on his face. And he gets to the palm tree. And when he gets there, there is no 
spring of water. There's no pool of water. There's only a pump. He thought he'd jump into that pool of water and just start lapping it up and drinking it, but it wasn't there. But there's a pump, and there's a jar of water. There's a note attached to the jar. And the note says this, pour the water into the pump. If you will pour the water into the pump, you'll have all the water you will ever need. But if you choose not to pour the water into the pump, the dry leather inside of there will remain hard. Therefore, you will never get any water out of the pump. If you'll pour this jar of water into the pump, it'll soften up the leather. It'll open up the valves. It'll allow the water to come out. And you'll have all the water you will ever need. And then at the end of the note, by the way, leave a jar of water for the next person who comes along. Now that guy had a decision to make. He's dying. You can imagine him looking at that jar of water. He's thinking, man, here's the water. My mouth is parched. I need this for myself. I'm going to drink this for myself. And he could have drunk that water and probably wouldn't have lasted a whole lot longer. Or he could have maybe done something that maybe in the natural might have seemed stupid or or out of the ordinary or, or nonsensical. He could have took that water and poured it into the pump. The question is, did he believe the note or not? And there came a point for him that at that point, either he acts on faith and believes the note and pours the water in, trusting that all the water is going to come out of the pump that he could ever need, or he doesn't. Now, I want to tell you, God has given us a note. God has given us the word of God. It is yea and amen. It is true. It is forever and ever. Heaven and earth will pass away. My word will never, ever pass away. Now, my question to you is, do you believe it? Take the water, guys. Become generous. Begin pouring it out and let God pour it all over you again and again and again and again. It is an exciting, incredible, tremendous life. Giving regularly, proportionally, sacrificially, and worshipfully always starts with that first step of faith. Do you believe it? I I had a lady come to me last week. She says, Pastor, I never tithed in my life. I I came to the membership class. You explained the blessing of tithing. I began doing that. Since then, God has been blessing our finances. I have never missed a dime. And and I joyfully give every week. I look forward to putting my tithes in the offerings because God is blessing me and taking care of me. I got a testimony of a man in the church. Just want you to see a story real quick, and then we're going to pray. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Waldo Alfonso, and um, after I accepted the Lord, um, and He turned my life around, He gave me a desire for uh, helping people, whether it was just helping them move or just doing something for them. Um, it just uh, made me feel really good to be able to help someone else. Um, there was once a time that uh, I had a friend that you know was struggling financially, and uh, you know I was able to help him. And uh, I knew that the Lord at the time was really blessing me, and um, I just wanted to return the favor. Having said that, tithing was not one of the things that I started to do right away after I got saved. I guess it was that rebellious nature of mine. I just uh, felt like I needed to be in control of some part of my life or even of my future. As I uh, started to tithe and put my finances into His hands, Uh, It opened up a line of communication that um, I can't even express. 
uh, it also developed uh, an intimacy with the Lord that um, I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. Uh, I realized that the, the God that had created me had a better purpose and a plan for my life than I did. And uh, I just needed to trust Him. Tithing has given me a uh, peace and a sense of uh, freedom that uh, I can't put into words. It's uh, allowed me to realize that He's in control of my life and um, He's got a purpose. And in, in return, He's blessed me tremendously. Uh, not, not materially, but just in the, the friendships that He's given me. Uh, um, the family that uh, is around me, the relationship with the boys. And uh, at the same time, he's also blessed me in uh, being able to enjoy some of the things that I love to do, which is being on the water, um, uh, just being out there in the nature that he's created and uh, enjoying it. I've been able to uh, bless others with that. And also now I see that uh, my kids are doing the same for their friends and their family. So... Um, it's just opened up a whole new world of understanding of who he is, but first, I had to put him first in my life. Amen. 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 Waldo's story is just one of hundreds that have been multiplied all over this room. And I could have had any number of people share just a brief testimony of what God has meant for them and how he's blessed them through the, the principle of tithing and being generous. It's an incredible lifestyle. I want to see God bless you. I want to see God open up your life and bless you like you've never been blessed before in every kind of way imaginable so that you may abound in service and ministry to others. Now, it's going to start with that first step of faith. Now, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 5, I read it first uh, in this message. I said, they first gave themselves to the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it starts by first giving your life to the Lord. You've got to begin by saying, God, I give my heart to you, my life, come in and live inside of me. And when you do that, he just owns everything, has everything, it's, it's all his. But you first give yourself to Christ and say, God, I give my life back to you. Save me, take my sins away, live inside of my life. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.